apologies. Good morning. Today is Sunday, February the 10th, 2019. We're at the Fountain Church in Fountain Valley, California, through the Bible Sunday School class. We've been studying our final book, the book of Revelation. We are going to pick it up at chapter 14 today. And uh, we have a small class size today, so I'm just going to open us in prayer. Father, I just thank you for your abundant mercies and blessings to us. Thank you that you oversight all of your creation, and in your providence, you do the things that know that you know must be done, and all things are working after the counsel of your will. We thank you that we can trust in you completely that you have left your Holy Spirit so that we can understand and perceive things that are only spiritually discerned. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Help help us today by the Holy Spirit to understand these passages. And we will give you the honor, the praise, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things when you take the book slow is you kind of forget what's already happened. So remember, we have these cycles of seven. We had the seven letters to the churches. We had the seven seals. And we had the seven trumpets. Okay. And then we had the, um, with the seventh trumpet, we have this appearing of a woman with a son that Satan's after. She fled into the wilderness. And then we are introduced to Satan being thrown to the earth and a first beast and a second beast. And uh, the first beast uh, was kind of, um, well, maybe I should start with the second beast. The second beast had horns like a lamb, but spoke like a dragon. So it was a little more insidious beast than the first beast. And we had ended chapter 13 that it caused both small and great at verse 16, rich and poor, free and slave to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he had the mark. And the mark was the number of a man, and it was 666. And we talked about there's a lot of numerology in the Bible mm-hmm. about the importance and significance of this number. You've probably seen Christian cartoons where they actually show people with a 666 right here. I don't know that it's going to be exactly like that. But I do and have had thoughts as technology moves forward that technology could be an integral part of the ushering in of the last days. And we, through the power of technology, giving people the power to buy or not to buy the goods they need. I could see that happening. We scan all the food in our grocery stores. We stick our cards in. They scan us. And in fact, the other day when they had to look up what my copay was on a prescription, I hadn't even given them my Medicare prescription uh, number, but they found it because what? I'm in a big database, right? My life isn't private. (laughs) They know who I am. (laughs) So that was always kind of funny to me. And so 
The other thing we discussed was the difference between a mark and a seal. The mark is a counterfeit of a seal. I know I said this in other classes. You might not have been here, Karen, but um, I know I have a page on it. Um, um, the seal versus the mark. I don't know if I can find it again. But we know we want the seal and not the mark. But notice how um, Satan tries to mimic God. There's Satan, there's the beast, and there's the false prophet. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Father has a seal, as Satan has a mark. And notice the confusion there. The ones receiving the mark are from all walks of life, as we just read, small, great, rich, poor, free, and slave. And the seal, we know, is a down payment. Ephesians tell, tells us we've been sealed. It's so important to understand that your name is in the book of life. Now, whether it's a book that looks exactly like this or how God maintains it, we know that books are important to God because he gave us a book and said, this will keep you to life everlasting. This is why we study this book. These are God's nutritional words to us for our spirit. And that's why it's very sad when you're in Christian circles where people are so light on the word. That means they don't have enough vitamins in their life to fight Satan. And they get misled and deceived where the word keeps you on track. That's why I love the parachurch ministries. But why are there parachurch ministries for Bible study? Why is the church not the center of Bible study? I always ask myself. But thank God there are BSFs and community Bible studies and all these places. And they've even opened them up to men, mm -hmm. some that used to be only for women. And I think it's wonderful where people can go and receive the scriptures. But... If I ever was a man and ever could be a pastor of a church, I would have made that the foremost thing my church does is study the scripture intensely and be outreaching and going evangelically out to the highways and the byways. Mm -hmm. I think those are the two main things of the church. Good doctrine, good scripture, good ministry and outreach because churches that become inbred, it's all about me and my, that's not good either. Yeah. So you'll see Christians that, and churches that have just doctrine without outreach or outreach without doctrine. And I think they're both important because when you read the scripture, you realize that we are God's emissaries, that he's put a spirit in us and that there's a harvest. And the harvest is coming up here at the end of chapter 14. Harvest of the righteous and a harvest of the wicked. Jesus talked about the harvest. Pray that there'll be laborers for that harvest. And he said, because the laborers are few. And I think about that. And he said that some of the, you know, the, the, the grain is just right at the plucking phase. And I've never felt myself to be a good outreach person. My husband's a good outreach person. He could talk to the homeless on the street about Christ. But I've always felt not that good. Or if I do talk, that I never would convince anybody 
to become a Christian. <laughs> but I do have one convert that says I am the reason she's a Christian. So at least I'll say, Lord, I have one convert. But it happened when I was 18. <laughs> it's a long time ago now. But she's a wonderful Christian. And she went to my high school and we got assigned to do a project together in our religion class. And we had to go talk to a Lutheran minister. That was part of our project. And she said, all I did was tell this minister about the gospel and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then she said, we went to her house. I can hardly ever remember this. And she said, Vicki, you were showing me the scriptures. And I said, I was? I have hardly any remembrance of this. She said, yes, I didn't know how you knew all this stuff, she said. Well, I had just been filled with the Spirit, and I was reading the Bible. I started in the New Testament because that made a lot of sense. And I could see how the Spirit empowered the New Testament church to have the voice and the testimony that they had. And I could see that that was missing in the church in our day. So anyways, back to where we are in chapter 14. When 13 ends, it says, This calls for wisdom, let the one who has understanding. So you can see that God expects us to be mature and discerning. Then it says, He looked, John the writer, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So you see the contrast here. Those with on their foreheads the mark of the beast, we on our foreheads the father's name written. Isn't that amazing? Mm now we can't with earthly eyes see. I'm looking at your foreheads. I don't really see anything, but it's there. You're marked for redemption. That's so cute. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters. And if you go back to Ezekiel, that's what he heard when he had his visions of heaven, the roar of many waters. Now we like the sound of waters. We put fountains out and things because that the sound of moving water is pleasant to us. People go to to um, Niagara Falls. Why? Because it's a powerful water display. And it's loud. With all that water tumbling over and falling down, even if you go to the um, Hoover Dam, I thought that was pretty amazing oh, yes. with the water. Yeah. And like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song. So I was thinking about that, to hear voices that sounded like a harp. Now, we know what the harp sounds like. We have a good harpist here who's now our missionary. Yes. <laughs> but I was fascinated with that instrument, and it's such a beautiful sound. And they use the harp a lot now at weddings. Harpists get a lot of things doing weddings. And I've been to weddings where all the accompanying music was all with the harp. Or the prelude music was all with the harp. And I think it's incredibly beautiful. And the gracefulness with which they... So this is how John heard the voice, like a harp. And I was thinking of how maybe the closest thing we might compare it to is when we have musicals or opera and everything is sung, nothing is spoken. Or... Um, you know, in the Catholic Church, they call it the High Mass. All responses, oh, yeah. everything is sung, which is why the great composers wrote uh, uh, introits, Gloria, um, 
see if I can remember them all. There's a Sanctus, a Agnus Dei. There's creeds. That's why we love that one. That's the modern creed right now. Um, Pastor Glenn and Cindy will sing, I believe in the... Oh, yes. I believe in the... Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's singing truth. And he heard the talking like it was singing. And I think that's why we love music, because we know it's God-given. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. I'm telling you, the concerts of heaven are going to be like none we have ever heard. I think there are going to be colors and keys that our earthly eyes and our earthly ears cannot perceive at the current time. No one could learn that song except the 144,000. Now, what does... What is the significance of the 144? Is that an actual number of people? I suppose it could be. But I more think that it's completeness. 12 tribes, 12 apostles, because it is a derivative of 12. Mm -hmm. Something squared equals 144,000. I should have looked that number up. But I think it's more about a completeness than it is actually 144 when you think that there are millions of people who have lived on the earth and that are alive now and that have been alive in previous centuries, even if you believe in a young earth, like the Institute of Creation research, which I tend to believe that, that Genesis really happened. But even if a day was as a thousand or a thousand as a day, there's been a lot of people that have inhabited the earth from pre-Christ to post-Christ. You know, even now they call it differently. We we learned B.C. and A.D. in school. Oh, yes. But it's not B.C. and A.D. anymore. When you go to the exhibits, like even when I went to the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit, they have different terminology now because Christ isn't in the center of time anymore. But I forgot what they call it well, now. One of them is C.D. C.D., yeah. And I can't think of what the, I can't think of what it is. We used to have to, as Catholic kids, put at the top of our papers, you know, it was the year of Christ. We didn't have to put that on, but we always had to go JMJ, which meant Jesus, Mary, Joseph. Mm. And the top of all our papers we turned in in school, JMJ. Um, I think it's so sad today that kids are not raised within the concept that there was a God who created them, loved them, redeemed them, you know. No wonder kids are depressed. Yeah. And no one could learn that song except the 144 had been redeemed from the earth, 144,000. And who are these? Those that have not defiled themselves with women. You know, the scripture is pretty replete in multiple places that purity and sexual morality is part of being a person of God. And what is one thing that Satan tries to tear down people with is sexual immorality. It's a huge problem in our culture, and we used to think it was against God. So, I mean, that's why Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote the Scarlet Letter, right? Because that woman had been promiscuous, and she was marked with a Scarlet Letter. And today we say it's not wrong. People were meant to copulate, so let them copulate. Why is it evil that they copulate outside of marriage? And... um I remember when I was a kid, people were just starting to move in together outside of marriage. And I was just like, what? Why are people doing this? 
But the scripture does hold up in righteousness to not be defiled. It doesn't make sex bad, which the Catholic Church tend to, to go that way. And one of the reasons the laity were the laity is the laity had sex. Okay. And priests and nuns did not have sex. Well, we found out the priests were having sex. Okay. So we nuns. just didn't know they were having sex. Okay. So see, these are gospel of man. But controlling your vessel in honor. I used to wonder why Paul wrote his epistles. Flee immorality. I'd say, well, is this Christian church having trouble with immorality? Well, you know, they were. He wouldn't have told them to do it. <laughs> so here it is held up again, not to file themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Love that. That was Jesus' first word to his apostles, follow me. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the lamb. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. Another thing that this chapter points out, I know we have to have a short study today, is that not everyone is saved. We don't like that part. Not, yeah. not everyone is saved. And people think that is harsh and horrible because even the ungodly will say, my loved one is in heaven. And I want to say to myself, how do they know that? Um, and because we want to reject what the scripture says doesn't mean we can develop our own theology and it's going to be true. We're not in control of God. But I was taken by a passage. I was reading Spurgeon this week. And he said that when he was called to people's deathbed, he did let them writhe in their sin a little bit without just comforting them. He said many people rise up off their deathbed and went on living their sinful lives. He said he knew this one clergyman that had visited 2,000 people on their deathbeds. A lot of them had been raised back up and only one or two ever read on to serve the Lord. So even their sickness didn't convince them. But um, in Romans 8... Oh. One of our famous favorite places in the Bible. Um, at verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So God predestined you, called you, is justifying you and will glorify you. I'm sorry, the scripture says that. And so I was thinking of a song that my sisters and I used to sing in the Catholic Church. And it was uh, it was from John, Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And uh, there, was a, there was a line in that, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. And that's from passages in the Gospel of John. You are a believer today because the Father drew you. And you heard, the Spirit helped you understand, and you embraced. And that was given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because many people here today and are not having that response. So it sounds harsh, but in the economy of God, somehow it makes sense. And I believe he is fair with every human. 
And I think some humans are given chance. I think there are those that also understand and say no, or they think they have more time, or they think that there's something that maybe they don't have to follow the lamb. But being saved is about following the lamb. And he has redeemed us as first fruits for God and the lamb. Now, Paul tells us that the first fruit is Christ himself. And that's out of 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe I'll just go there and end today with that. But it's such a beautiful, the first fruits, because we could go back and study their feast of first fruits. Remember, what were they celebrating? This, that there would be a first fruit. So let's see. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God and the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, under Christ's feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection. In other words, the Father. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. So that's where we're heading. The final enemy, death, but Christ will reign and rule and deliver the kingdom to God. So we're reading about it. He's the first fruits, then we who are his will follow. Remember, Paul told us, you know, the seed has to fall into the ground and die, and then it comes forth. And in their mouth, no lie was found, for they are blameless. And that is the sign of the pure believer. So the next part will start with the announcement of the final judgment, the destruction of Babylon, mm -hmm. that God will pour out his full wrath. Up to now, we've had his limited wrath. The trumpets, remember as they blew each trumpet, there was calamity, but restrained calamity. Remember, it, did, it only affected two-thirds sometimes or whatever. Now we're going to have the final... Uh, verse 12 is going to tell us that here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Mm -hmm. So this is where folks believe that if there's a call for endurance, maybe the saints will have things to endure. Maybe they won't be just snatched and rescued, all of them, before the end comes. But to see God pull out, as verse 10 will tell us, that the beast, it said, anyone worshiping the beast and its image will receive a mark on his forehead and will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels. Now, these are hard things to be understood, but you have to remember, just like when we studied the Old Testament, 
these nations that God allowed the Israelites when they went into the land to destroy, they had been given a lot of time to repent and they did not. And then it's sad that like almost 400 years. So these folks that received the mark on the forehead, these are people that have repeatedly denied Christ or refused to receive the offer of his salvation. And as I told you before, the how man's free will and the sovereignty of God work in with each other in syncretism with each other is hard to be understood. I love what Spurgeon says. The two lines, man's will, God's sovereignty, they do intersect, but it's so far into eternity we can't see it. I love that. Because yes, I had choice, but yes, I was also called. And both are true at the same time. And I could have said no. Did God overpower me to say yes or just provide an environment whereby yes was my reasonable response? Mm -hmm. We don't understand all these things. Mm -hmm. Just like the 12 who were called, they didn't look very significant in the crowd, Peter, James, John. Why were they called? There's a sovereignty. Why was Mary chosen? Why was Paul chosen who was going the other way and persecuting and killing the believers? These are things that are not completely understood. And there are many that will just say no, but this full strength of the wrath of God should be a scary thing. And we, we talk literally, we say, oh, it's like it was the wrath of God. We don't even know what we mean when we say that because it's going to be. That's what the... Um, Battle Hymn of the Republic is trying to talk oh, about yeah. the full strength of the wrath of God. He is something grinding out the, something the vintage where the grapes of wrath are trod. He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. Yeah, it's talking about this. Okay. So I think we better stop. And do, do you feel like closing us in prayer, Karen? Oh, sure. Heavenly Father, what a what a joy it is to study the word that you've given us. I thank you for this word, and I thank you for how you call people to teach it, to preach it. And, and I just thank you so much for Vicki and her her uh, teaching. Just be with Vicki, protect her, keep her safe. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the uh, lessons that we have heard today. And I thank you, Father, for how you worked in this church. Even though it's small, it's still preaching. And I thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You do know that... You have been listening to Bible Study Verse by Verse with Vicki Mulak. For more of these podcasts and some resources, please go to our website at www.biblestudyvbv.org O-R-G That's www.biblestudy V as in Victor, B as in boy, V as in Victor The VBV stands for verse by verse dot org
www.ghostsofthecoast.org. There you can register and contact us, or just leave a comment. We welcome your feedback. Thank you. This is George Mulek.